You know, coming off the heels of um, of the Rethink Conference that we had a, a, a few weeks back, and uh, we had about 1,400 youth here, and it was awesome. I mean, I say youth, it's, you know, that's middle schoolers through college kids and young adults, uh, but it was beneficial for everybody. One of the speakers was named uh, Jonathan Stone Street, and he talks on worldview, and why is that important, and why does that kind of shape or frame uh, everything that, that we... Uh, that we think about, how we process information, how we interpret what's going on in the world around us, and how we respond to that. And so, actually, before we get in, let me let me open us in prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, we love you. Thank you for today. Uh, we're just reminded that your mercies are new every morning, Lord, and we, we uh, thank you for that, your love and your grace in our lives, Lord, knowing that we always fall short, continually fall short of your standard of holiness, and yet you are patient with us, uh, and that you love us. And that, uh, and that you forgive us. And Lord, so we're thankful for Jesus. We celebrate him, especially as we look towards Easter, where we, where we uh, remember and celebrate uh, his gift of his dying on the cross, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins, Lord, knowing that we had no way to be good enough for you, so you did what we could not do. And so, Lord, we just ask that uh, you redeem this time this morning, and as we open up our Bibles and, and talk about having a perspective of, of that's centered on you, Lord, what that means for our lives, and, uh, and that we would go out and be your salt and light and hands and feet and your ambassadors as you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so how do you define a worldview? If someone asks you what a worldview is, what, what do you think? Politically? Okay. All right. What else? Major conflicts, different worldviews definitely cause conflicts, for sure. Yes. Well, I, I did. I said, how, what is a worldview? How would you describe a worldview? What is, yeah, Eric? Okay. Okay, sure. So how you interpret and process and see it? Yep. Yes, sir. For a biblical, biblical worldview, you're exactly right. What do you do with Jesus? Well, someday we're all going to have to give an account for that, right? That's very true. Absolutely. If you think about it like lenses, right? If you ever wore glasses that are like rose-colored, when you put it on, everything you see is rose-colored to it, right? And that's what a biblical or that's what a worldview is. It's how we look at everything in life. Um, you know, we're, for, a, for a Christian, we, we see ourselves as part uh, in a bigger uh, story of what God's doing in the world. And so um, it's, it's a kingdom perspective. It's a framework, if you will, or a grid to perceive and, and understand things that are going around around us and within us. And then that dictates how we respond, right? How we process, how we see it. And then what we do from there is all based uh, on a worldview. So think of it as a filter, all right? So before we get into some scriptures around it, uh, there's three questions that I'm going to ask you to discuss there at your tables. We'll just take like five minutes, um, but it's, it's really just a quick examination. If you look at your life, um, what are some key either events or influences or relationships that have had a primary role in shaping your worldview, right? So um, if you grew up in an affluent neighborhood, that might affect you. If you grew up in a poverty-stricken poverty neighborhood, that might affect you. If you grew up in a household that had uh, a divorced parents in it, that might affect you. So what things happened to you or, or, or what people had a major influence on you um, 
that kind of helped shape your worldview where you are today? Obviously, your relationship with Christ hopefully is part of that. But uh, just just want to talk real quick. We'll take like five minutes and just uh, everybody share. What what are what do you think are some major uh, influences uh, on your on your worldview? All right, ready, break, go.
All right, <clears throat> let's uh, let's keep going on this. Hopefully, that was interesting to hear just a little bit about where people are coming from and what's impacted them in terms of a, a worldview and what that looks like. Uh, you know, for most people, and I just say this universally, a, a worldview is, is kind of a smorgasbord of, uh, you know, ideas and random thoughts and philosophies and preferences. But for something to be universal true, it has to be true for everyone, right? And so, uh, and, and someone mentioned it early, most of the conflicts we see around us come from um, competing worldviews. So if you don't believe that there's a God and that there's no higher morals or anything, that greatly shapes the way you perceive everything, right? Life and, and relationships and the world and how you interact around us. And so we recognize as Christians that there is a great spiritual battle that goes on for the hearts and minds of everybody around us, right? And so what does that look like in our lives? What does that look like in the lives of those we come in contact with? Uh, so as we look at a biblical worldview and what that means, uh, I went back to the greatest commandment. That's there in your notes on Matthew 22. Uh, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, got together, uh, the Pharisees got together, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so what we see here is a command to do to, to love God in three ways, right? Love God with all of our heart. That's the emotional side. All right, with all of our soul. That's volitionally. That's of our free will. We love God. And then with all of our mind. So that's cognitively. So we need to know what we believe and why we believe it because it should shape the way we see everything, right? And so basically what he's doing is, is he's telling us that we should be thinking with the mind of Christ. That's the second one below that. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, We demolish arguments of every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Uh, T.S. Eliot said that we ought to put things in Christian categories. That's how we ought to think. Um, we think in Christian categories. We, as Christians... We need to have a biblical worldview. Everything that we see, everything that we understand that happens around us and to us needs to be through the framework of Scripture. If not, then we're all subject to our own limited experiences, right? And if you think about our lives, uh, and I, I heard this on, a, John Mark, I think he's used this before too. If you think of it as eternity, that is just this line that goes on forever, right? Our lines are this little dot. You know, just at a, at a specific time of, of history, but it's very short. The Bible says our life is a mist that appears for a short while and then vanishes. So if we were to, to make everything, our worldview, totally subject to our own personal experiences uh, and people that we've interacted with, think about our very minute dot on the line of history. It's very short, right? We're limited to this one specific place that wherever you've lived over the past 30, 40, 50, 60 years, whatever it is, um, and that's, that's the limit of the of your worldview, and so it's very finite. When you when you view things through the lens of Scripture, it gives you the whole picture, right? Here's here's what. Uh, in fact, we'll start with that. Um, the, this next section, what I want to do, is so where do we start in having a biblical worldview? There's a few tenets I just put down. 
And this is not exhaustive, right? I, I was kind of pulling from some different sources, uh, but I thought there were some, some good things to talk about. I'm going to cover them really quickly. And so um, that's why you have the handout so you can uh, take notes if you want, take the scriptures home, go look at them. I am going to ask that we'll read some scriptures as we go through these and touch on these because our worldview comes from the narrative of scripture, from God's living word, all right? So if I can have some, some folks uh, volunteer to read, we got a lot of scriptures that we want to hit as we go through here. Um, well, Genesis 1-1 we can take. So how about somebody uh, volunteer to take Psalm 50, 21? Thanks, Bob. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. You got it, Jeff? Thanks. Oh, I skipped one. John 17, 3. Thanks. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 11. You got that, Gene? Thanks. Romans uh, 11, 33 through 36. Thanks, Eric. And Deuteronomy 29, 29. Okay. And then Isaiah 45, 5. Thank you. And um, how about we'll do, on that last one, we'll just do Psalm 19. We'll do verses 1 through 7. How's that? Anybody? Psalm 19? Okay, thank you. All right, so as we read these, uh, I want to read the scriptures that go along with it and think about how these are based on the foundation of Scripture. If it's something that we just make up or something that we prefer to be true, then it's probably not, right? It's based upon our own sinful hearts, right? The Scripture tells us we can't trust our hearts because they're sinful. We can't trust our minds half the time because they're clouded. So we need to trust something that we know is true, right? And that's where we've done the apologetics before. We know why the Bible's true. And so problem is, is that most of us don't open our Bibles, right? I, I heard, a, <clears throat> I digress for a second. A few years ago, I heard a pastor, he was actually teaching, preaching to pastors, and he said, he held up his Bible, and he said, the average household, a Christian household in America, owns seven copies of these Bibles. He said, but they read none. He's talking about, just, we don't, we don't understand scripture, because we don't spend time in it, because we spend all of our time watching American Idol. Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, oh, after that's right. <laughs> we are biblically illiterate, right? And, and, and his analogy was this. He said, if I had a Bible, and I said, if you will read this, this or if I had a book, and I, had, and, and I told you, if you would read this book, you would have a million dollars in the bank. How many of you would have that book read by the end of the week, right? And every hand goes up, right? The living God of the universe created this for you to have a relationship with him for eternity, right? And yet we don't think it's important. We don't think it's relevant. We don't prioritize it in our own lives. And so his, his point was that we are, um, he said, we are theologically educated beyond our willingness to be obedient. And so what and that was a quote from, I think, John Maxwell. But his point was is that we are not obedient to Scripture because we, we don't know Scripture. And so when we think about a biblical worldview, it needs to be based on the Bible. Does that make sense? All right, so let's start off. A, a few key points. The central affirmation of Scripture is not only that there is a God, but that God has acted and spoken in history. So... We talk about atheists who believe that there is no God or agnostic believes that, oh, there's probably some higher power, but we can't know. 
That's very different than the Bible that says, in the beginning, God okay, created the heavens and earth. So first, in the beginning was God. God existed. He was outside of time. He wasn't created. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And then what did God do? He created, right? He spoke the world into existence. And so he is the creator and sustainer of all things. How does that change your uh, worldview, right? That you said, you gotta, what do you do with Jesus, right? That is fundamental. If you don't believe that there's a God, if you believe that you are your own best version of yourself, and you're the top of the food chain, and that there is no accountability, there is no higher power, that greatly impacts the way you live your life, right? So there, not only there is a God, but he's acted and spoken in history. To think wrongly about God is idolatry. Who has Psalms 50? Okay, thank you. So when you thought I was exactly like you, what, what we do is when we think wrongly about God, we falsely elevate ourselves. Does that make sense? So God is just a better version of us, or he's just a little bit smarter, maybe a little bit more powerful, um, you know, when we, when we don't understand who God is, it's idolatry because we're really putting ourselves on God's throne. So that we're smarter, that we're more capable, that, that it, it's more about us. Uh, thinking rightly about God is eternal life. Who has John 17? There you go. So that's eternal life, right? I'm the way, the truth, and life. So there's one way to have eternal life, right? And that's through the Lord. And so... Um, you need to understand who God is. We need to, to understand uh, when we do, it's eternal life. And that should be the objective in our life, the key objective. Who's got Jeremiah 9? Thank you. So that, what's our focus, right? Is it ourselves? What are we boasting on? What do we take pride in? Is it, is it what we've accomplished, what we've done, or is it in the Lord? Okay? When we understand that, that God is alone is Lord and King, that he rules all things, he created all things for his glory, uh, he displays his glory in the, in, the, in the stuff that he's created, that he's triune, right, that he's, he's Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, there, it, it changes who we are and how we see and interpret the stuff that goes on around us. All right, so moving to the third one. We can think rightly about God because he is noble. Who's got 1 Corinthians 2.11? Okay, thank you. So, He's noble, right? He put the spirit in, within us. So that's how we know about God. Yet we must remain mindful that he is simultaneously incomprehensible. Who's got Romans 11?
So it's really cool, right? We can know about God, and we can know God. We have a relationship with God, but you're not ever going to fully understand him. He's still God, right? And that that healthy sense of awe, that healthy sense of fear, um, that that is is central to who we are and, and how we see the world. We are not the center of the world, right? And so it, it's really a cool deal. I mean, it's uh, theologians have talked about Scripture saying that it's, it's uh, shallow enough for, um, for toddlers to wade and deep enough for theologians to drown, right? You'll never, have you ever read a passage and then and, and you read it 20 times and for some reason something else sticks out to you about this time? I mean, God just continues to reveal himself to us as we grow and as we're able to handle it. And it's just an amazing journey. So God can be known, but he cannot uh, be known completely. Who had Deuteronomy 29? All right, thank you. So there are things that he has revealed to us, right, that we can know. But we just need to know we don't know everything, right? Sometimes we have to default to Isaiah 55. It says his ways are higher than our ways because there are times when we don't understand, right, that we may not have an answer for something. And so you need to trust in the Lord and who he is, right, his goodness, his faithfulness, his uh, sovereignty, all the things we talk about, who the key characteristics of the Lord because there's, there are times in life where we just don't know, right, and you have to go by faith. So, all right. Keep moving. Uh, God is personal and differentiated from other beings, from nature, from the universe, because you hear those are all common themes in other worldviews, right? That, that God is just another iteration of us, or that you know someday we'll be like Him, or He's He's in pantheism, He's in everything, He's in the the rocks and the trees and everything. Who has Isaiah forty five? Thank you. So. There's one God, and he's separate from everything. He's not dependent upon anything, and he can't be, um, he's, he's, he's not dependent on anything that's external to himself, right? And so he's infinite in all of his ways. So he's infinite towards time, right, which is, means he's eternal. He's infinite in relation to knowledge. You know, so he's omniscient. He's infinite in regards to power, right? So he's, he's omnipotent. Um, he's sovereign. He's unchanging. You just think about the characteristics of God. It is central to understanding who we are, right, and, and what's happening all around us. You need to, everything starts with the nature of God. And so lastly, God created uh, all things to bring glory to himself. We read Genesis 1. Who had Psalm 19, the first few verses of that? Okay. Uh, like 6 or 7, something like that. Just, or just a few just to get started. Yep. Thank you. So creation was, was created for God's glory, right? So think about how that impacts your worldview. So there's a purpose to creation, right? And it's to fulfill God's glory. And so we think about it, uh, the, the narrative of creation. It was originally created good, 
right? And then it was stained by sin, and it'll someday be redeemed. Well, that narrative greatly impacts our worldview and how we see events and how we interpret what's going on around us. God is the source of all things. Uh, it was uh, his purposeful act of his free will in creating us. So there's purpose in it. He's sovereign. Uh, he's almighty, Lord of existence. Uh, you know, the, it reje rejects anything of dualism uh, that matters eternally existed. You know, I, it, it's funny how, and, and we'll get to science in a minute, but, you know, science affirms uh, the Lord. Everything, because God is the God of, of truth and knowledge, right? And so the more science studies and, and the more they figure out, the more it affirms what we know about the Lord through Scripture. And so it, it's, um, it, he's purposeful, who creates in freedom, and then he's working out his ultimate purpose for humanity. Those are some of my notes that I put in the world. So um, what does that mean? It means human life is meaningful. Cre uh, the creation is, is meaningful. That, um, that there's overall purpose to our lives. There's purpose to, to what's going on around us. And God's going to ultimately uh, restore the, his creation to, to his original intent. So how does that change um, our, our biblical worldview? So there's, there's a few implications that I have here that I'm just going to run through. And like I said, I, if you want to jump in, feel free to jump in and, and raise your hand and say anything. I'm trying to cover some stuff because at the end I, I was, have a group exercise that I want to finish with. And so, but, but I know I'm just kind of sailing way at the top, right? We could, this could be a 12-week study if we wanted to peel, peel the layers back. So what, is, uh, what are the implications of a biblical worldview? Uh, the first one is that it shapes our identity. It shapes how we view ourselves, right? It, 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 our purpose in life, who we are, what we do, and it also shapes how we, how we see others. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, I put that in there, because it says, The God of this age, which would be Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So not only does it that it shapes our identity and who we are, it shapes how we see others. Does that make sense? It's not, it's not, uh, a ba it's not us versus them, right? It, it's there, but by the grace of God goes I. It, it's sinners that have been blinded by the God of this age. It's God's child that God created you, right? And and let me share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, you, you hear the analogy that it's that it's one. Um, uh, beggar telling another beggar where he found bread, right? It's, we don't, there's nothing within ourselves, right? We can't, we can't win anybody to Christ personally, right? We're, we're supposed to present the gospel, but it's only the Holy Spirit that can transform lives and change hearts, right? And so all we are is we're ambassadors for the Lord uh, doing what we're called to do. So it provides uh, motivation. That's the next one. Uh, it's not escapism, right? It's, it, it should be an energizing motivation, for godly living, for thinking, for faithful service um, in the here and now. So having a biblical worldview provides a framework for why we do what we do. Does that make sense? It gives confidence and hope for the future. So in the midst of all that's going on, you know, in the world around us, there's challenges and struggles. It helps us to, to it gives us that foundation. It anchors us to God's faithfulness and steadfastness. And it does. It takes the focus off of the temporal, and moves it to the eternal. All right. It provides a framework for uh, ethical thinking. 
So we, we recognize that humans are made in God's image um, and that the fullest embodiment of good and love and holiness, grace, and truth can be found only in Jesus Christ. So it, it helps frame the way we think about things. It helps us understand history. So history is not cyclical or random, right? It's linear, and it had a distinct beginning, and it will have an end you know, in, in the way that God fulfills his purpose for humanity. And so when we understand that God has acted decisively and that he's active in our lives today, it changes the way that we see ourselves in the, in the historical, uh, well, in the history of the world, really. And so when we talk about how will things end, we know how things are going to end, right? We know how the story ends. So we know the victory has already been won by Christ's death on, death on the cross. So that changes the way that we navigate and the way that we respond to things that happen all around us and to us. Um, and it's important because if we don't have that anchor, right, then culture, I think Eric might have said that, it kind of shapes our worldview. So what's going on? What's the predominant opinion around you? What are people's preferences? What feels good for the moment, right? That's, that's the danger of, of not being anchored. Uh, and it, it eliminates fear. So fear about future suffering, disease, poverty, <clears throat> you know, it's informed by the Christian worldview that's grounded in the redemptive work of Christ. And so uh, we, don't have, we don't have the fear of what's going to happen or what's happening around us because we have the confidence and the anchoring of, of who God is and what his promises are. And the last one is it's a coherent way of seeing life, coherent. Because having this God-centered perspective uh, provides bearings and direction um, in the midst of a whole lot of other competing philosophies. So those are a few implications. Now, how do we defend it? Um, there's a few things, and I'm not going to, well, yeah, we are. Okay, I'm going to, i got five minutes. Okay, I'm going to go really fast through these, but I do want to hit the scriptures, because if I, well, we got more time than that, Shane, you don't have to check your watch. All right, I was just trying to save time at the end of discussion. He's already looking for the door. So, um, yeah, there you go. He DVR'd it last night. Okay, uh, that's a surprise. All right, so I do. Let's let's get a few readers uh, free uh, of scripture because, like I said, this is all anchored in scripture, and so I want us to understand this, where this is coming from uh, as we get to it. So, someone read uh, John seventeen for me. Have some volunteers. Thank you. Uh, John thirteen thirty four. Thank you over here. First uh, Peter three fifteen. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Thank you. Uh, we'll just do uh, John 13, 15. That one there. Acts 17, 22. Thank you. Uh, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. All right. And let's see, Psalm 19. Oh, we already read, we already read Psalm 19, so we'll just refer back to that one. And Romans 13. All right, thank you. And then Isaiah 6, 8. All right, very good. So here's a, here's a few things on, on how to defend a, a biblical worldview. First one is uh, learn how to be in the world but not of it. Who's got John 17?
that. Thank you. So learn how to be in the world but not of it. So we don't just assimilate and look like everybody else, right? When we are living through biblical worldview on our biblical principles, it should change the way that we operate. It should look, we should look different than the world, all right? So we, we live out our faith by following those biblical principles in all areas of life, and so cr- people can see Christ in us. Does that make sense? It's not for our sake. It's for those people around us. Okay, uh, trade comfort for sacrifice and service. Who had John 13, 34 and 35? Thank you. So the new commandment I give you, we're coming up on Easter, that Monday, Thursday service that we have. That's Monday is the Latin word for command. That's where that comes from, a new command I give you. Our faith isn't about our own comfort, right? If we model what Jesus did, it's about self-sacrifice and, and about serving others. And that's kind of flipped upside down from where we live in America, right? We, we, we try to go the most comfortable route. That's, that's kind of our... Our modus operandi, and I'm not saying that's uniquely American. That's probably uniquely human. That's kind of where we, we fall. That's not what, what, what Jesus has called us to, right? We are saved ourselves, but not for ourselves, right? The reason that we don't go to heaven as soon as that we have a relationship with Christ is because he's left us here for a purpose. All right. Um, engage the culture rather than withdrawing from it. Who has First Peter? Always be prepared, right? So, uh, you know, understand your faith's not supposed to be private, regardless of what the culture around it tell, talks to you about or the way, what the narrative is. And even though you may not be called, right, um, to be in professional ministry, you have a full-time calling to minister. Does that make sense? You may not be called to vocational ministry. You are called to be a minister to those around you. God said that he has put you at this time in history and the place that you live and the place that you work and the people that you're around for a very distinct purpose, to be his ambassadors. And so there is a calling on your life, um, and it's to be a minister. Yes, sir. No. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. You're exactly right. We were created we were a new creation, right? And so shouldn't be ourselves. Right. <laughs> All right. Before we get on shame, we're gonna keep going. Fight through it. All right. Be clear about what constitutes a biblical worldview. Who had second Timothy? Thank you. So make sure you know what you believe and why you believe it, right? What does God's word say about it? Read, study, meditate on God's word. It, you know, we, it, going back to that story I said earlier, and <clears throat> I don't think I finished the story because I got distracted, you know, look, squirrel, that's kind of how I operate. Um, but the pastor that talked to everybody about not reading the Bible, his last statement was, how can you claim to love a God you don't know? And that, that hurt, right? You think about that. We, we say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. 
I may not know exactly what all Christ said, but sign me up. I'm good. Right? Do we live like Christ? That's what a disciple is, a follower. Yeah. exactly right yep good point that was the second half of that john 13 scripture you're exactly right love others like yourself very good all right model jesus compassion who had john 13 15 yep. so that's pretty simple follow jesus example right how did jesus live how did he serve how was he compassionate Sometime, sometime do a word search on, on compassion and see how many times that's associated with Jesus. Jesus had compassion on him. He was moved to tears. That, that's who Jesus was. So uh, we should be showing hurting people how much Jesus loves them, right? That's, that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to follow his example. That We should be praying to God that he'll show us specific people to reach out to, right? That we should be generous you know, financially with our time. We should be alert and look for opportunities. We should pray that God would show us opportunities to show compassion. That's a dangerous prayer, right? God, all right, show me. Because <laughs> he, he's going to, right? And then at that point, you've got to move forward in faith. All right, understand other worldviews. Who has Acts 17? All right, thank you. So this is Paul when he's, he has a great... Um, sermon there, but the key is, he said, I see you're very religious. He understood their context, right, and he used that as a basis to be able to share the gospel. So we don't think because people have a different worldview that they're stupid or crazy or whatever. I mean, sometimes we do think that, but that's, that can't be how we, how we, the viewpoint that we launch from, right? There's a basis, just like you guys had a, had a quick discussion on what's helped shape your worldview, Everybody has that personal story, right? Here's the influences. Here's the life events. Here's the people that have spoken to my life that is why I believe what I believe at this point in time, okay? Fortunately, God has not abandoned us. He's not done with us yet, right? And he's not done with them. And so use that. Understand where people are coming from and use that as an opportunity, just like Paul did, to share the gospel. Uh, pursue revival, Second Chronicles. Thank you. So it needs to start with us personally, right? A, a personal revival, if you will. Take a moral inventory. Where are you at? How are you in your relationship with the Lord? How, where are you faithful? Where are you not? Right? You know, ask, ask God, you know, you know, seek me, right? And try me. Where, where am I falling short, Lord? You know, creating me a, a clean heart. That should be our cry to the Lord. Before we start trying to live out a worldview, we need to, you know, take the speck out of our, our, our brother's eye. We need to take the log out of our own. We need, it needs to start with our own heart first. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, let awe for God's creation lead you to engage the world of science. We had Psalm, oh, we, already, we talked about Psalm 19, about how it displays God's glory. Understand that the, notion, the common notion that faith and science are somehow at odds, that's wrong. Okay. When you, when you look at the scientific discoveries, it always affirms God's account because God created it all. So it makes sense. That doesn't mean we don't advocate for, 
for things that, that support uh, science God's way, right, in terms of testing on embryos and some other stuff. But just know that science and, and faith are not opposed, right? And so don't be one of the biggest obstacles that people say that the reason that they don't uh, uh, want to become a Christian is because they feel like Christians are opposed to um, logic is what they call it. It's really science. It is. Yeah. Yep. It's the way that they interpret the science, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, that's that's yeah. That's the conclusions drawn from that, right? You're exactly right. Thank you. That's great. Um. And then last one is, uh, no, we have two more. So take political action. Who had Romans 13? All right. Thank you. Sorry, that was a long one. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, so we need to be active. We need to be praying for uh, the leaders, right, that we have, whether you agree with them politically or not. And then, But you need to understand the issues, and you have the opportunity to vote, so you need to, you need to be involved in that. Uh, that's another way you can inter- or engage culture. And then the last one is become a seed. Who had Isaiah 6, 8? Thank you. So be willing to give up your own agenda for what the Lord calls you to do, right? Uh, you know, ask God to, to move you however he needs to to let you uh, be used by him, right, for his bigger purpose. So I know we covered a whole lot of ground really fast, and we didn't have a lot of time to talk. So here's what I want you to do. We're going to have three questions I want you to finish with at your table, and then you can just pray out at your table before you leave. I know you guys got to go whenever you do, so feel, feel free. But here it is. In light of this, this discussion... In what area or areas of your worldview do you feel the most confident? Where do you think, man, I'm doing well here? And then how about the least confident? 
No, I, I could show you some work here, right? How can a better understanding of God's word combat worldly wisdom? Can you think of an example where worldly wisdom seems logical until viewed through a biblical lens? And I put example is uh, physician-assisted suicide. It's, uh, it's an issue that i just recently been looking into more and more, and it, it, it's interesting that the worldly viewpoint, they can say, okay, it's, it's less suffering, that um, there's less costs on, on the family, you know, that there, there's a perceived, you know, end of life and, and all this care. Well, how, does it, how do you balance that with a biblical narrative, right, that says God created you, right, and that he has a purpose for you, and that we even find purpose in suffering. And so what, what, are, what are some issues out there that, that you could say, okay, I, I see both sides, and it, it, it can be tough that you wrestle with. And then the last one is what can you do to further strengthen a biblical worldview, okay, and then just close in prayer. Sorry we went so fast. I would have loved, and we'd love to peel each of those back and take a look into it. But hopefully, when you're talking about a biblical worldview, it helps you be more intentional about what you understand. I'll tell you what the neat thing is from that conference after John Stone Street, I took my older two kids were here, and then we're watching a commercial, and my, my son said, think about the worldview that commercial is communicating, Dad. And so it's, it's not a conversation that, you, that I've had a lot with my kids, but it's good. Everything around us portrays a worldview about what's important, about what's valued, about what we should be doing. And the more intentional we are with ours and the more perceptible we are with what the messages are that are coming forward through media, through other people, through corporations, um, then it will help us be more effective in what God's called us to do. All right? Okay, you all break down in your groups and, and talk and then close in prayer. Thank you. Appreciate you.